0: Selwyn uh, is going to come and speak to us. So can we hear some appreciation for Selwyn? We love Selwyn. Selwyn is one of uh, just the amazing pastors here. Uh, He's been on an internship program, but uh, Selwyn is incredible. And if you've never sat down and had a conversation with Selwyn, you're missing out. You need to grab him, get a coffee with him, but let's pray for him now as he comes and speaks to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Selwyn. Thank you for all the gifts that you've given to him. Thank you for the heart uh, of compassion and of care uh, and of love for you, Jesus, that you've placed inside of him. And as we spend these moments now just opening your word together, Jesus, we pray that you would speak through him, uh, that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear your word for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God. Well, if you've got a Bible, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm only reading three verses, so it's nice and short. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, if you weren't here last week, we had an amazing message from Phil, just speaking about the trajectory of our lives in Christ, that it is no longer down, 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 but up, 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 that God in the person of Jesus Christ meets us in our place of need, meets us in our mess and our not-so-goodness and our not-okayness, using Phil's words, and he gives us a new identity in him and a new purpose. And I kind of want to keep on the similar trend as Phil, but I'm going to call this message Keep Running. You've heard of the film Cool Runnings this message is keep running so a question what do you do when life is hard this was what was happening to the people that the writer is writing to we're not too sure of a lot of details but we reckon that he was probably writing to jewish christians people that were being persecuted they weren't losing their lives at this time but they were having their homes vandalized their possessions were being confiscated but for jewish christians there was a way out hence why he's writing to them because they could just go back to judaism at that time judaism was a legal religion so all they had to do was renounce jesus and they would stop being persecuted and into this situation the writer writes and says no keep running don't give up the hope that you have. Don't give up the confidence that you have in Christ. Keep running. So I ask again, what do you do when life gets hard, when things are tough? We might not have to suffer for our fate, but life does throw us some curveballs, doesn't it? If you've been a Christian long enough, I'm sure you've had quite a few already. But I'll give you some examples. The death of loved ones. Sickness or ill health. Loss of work. Maybe an inability to find work. Loss of home and finances. Well, for me, life threw me and my family, a bunch of curveballs once, almost all at the same time, about six years ago or so, First, I got kicked out of Bible college. Well, don't feel too sorry for me. To be honest, I couldn't pay my fees, so they had a right (laughs) to. My mom, sister, and I lost two of my uncles, actually, to cancer within the matter of a year. And we were losing the home we were renting at the time because the landlord had gone bankrupt and had to sell. So we had to find somewhere else to live. And we were like, we actually like this home. But it just seemed like, everything that could be going wrong was going wrong. I wasn't being persecuted, but how was I going to respond? When life gets hard, it is easy, it is so easy to begin to move back to our old ways of living and acting and responding. Why? Because it is familiar. It's comfortable, it's what we're used to doing. But it is our old way of living. And thinking that in us it's that thing that stops us from becoming all that God wants us to be and from achieving all that he wants us to achieve our old way of thinking is the way we used to think about or view a situation when life gets hard it is easy to begin to doubt God and think that God no longer is for us that God no longer cares If God really loved me, you might say, or if he was really for me, or if the good message, the good news of Jesus was really good news, I wouldn't be going through this. I wouldn't be experiencing this. And slowly, we begin to take our eyes off Jesus. And as Phil famously does, we begin to look downwards. We begin to look at ourselves, we become very inward focused. This in turn affects how we live. Let's consider Adam and Eve for a bit. They were in the garden. They doubted God's goodness. And therefore, as a result of that, disobeyed God. When we doubt God, we also begin to fall into sin, to wrong patterns of living, to our old patterns of living. Therefore, the writer to the Hebrews encourages us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Moreover, he encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to him, to know that he is with us, to know that he is for us. Why Jesus? Why does he tell us specifically to fix our eyes on Jesus? Because Jesus is God incarnate. And when we attentively consider Jesus, we realize what God is really like. We realize that God is for us, that he is committed to us, that he loves us dearly, and that he calls us his beloved children. Second question, how do we know that God is committed to us? How do we know that he is for us? Like I said, we know it by looking at the person of Jesus, but specifically we know it by looking at two things about Jesus, which the writer to the Hebrews mentions. Firstly, we know it because Jesus died on a cross for us. This is the ultimate sign of God's commitment to us. In his debt, Jesus paid the price for our sins. I was really loving Ashton's vibing earlier because all the songs, just kept reminding me it was like God was saying to me it's about my debt it's about what I've done this is my sign of my love for you this is my sign of my love for each and every one of these people in this room but also in the world that have never heard the good news of Jesus his debt means that God the Father forgives and forgets all our wrongdoings his debt has set us free from sin and death. We may experience a physical death but we will be raised to life again and we will share in Jesus eternal life. I know a lot of this isn't new but it's good to be reminded isn't it? It's good to be reminded of the hope that we have. We're given a new identity. We are sons and daughters of God. I know me and Nicola were having a discussion with Father Bernard once And Father Bernard was like, I don't really like this emphasis on daughters because we should just say sons. Father Bernard, if you've never met him, is a Catholic priest. And his point was that the idea of sons, the Bible uses the word sons, not to exclude women, but to emphasize the fact that we inherit, that we're heirs with Christ. And in that culture, a woman wouldn't inherit, only men would. So when God calls us sons, He means we will all, male and female, inherit. That we have a better hope. That this life isn't all there is. Paul says it well. Paul says, if this life is all there is, then we Christians are to be pitied above everyone else. Because we go through, just like everyone else, we go through hardships and sufferings. But there are people and there are Christians in the Middle East, that actually are persecuted for their faith, that die daily for their faith. And if this life is all there is, then what's the point in being a Christian? But Paul says, we have a hope, we have an inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. We will inherit not only eternal life when Jesus returns, but we will be given a better home and city, and we will have a better life and lasting inheritance. We will have possessions that won't ever vanish or disappear or be taken away from us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If that wasn't enough of a sign of God's commitment, we know that Jesus also sits at the right hand of God. That's the second thing he mentions. Now, early in the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book has already argued that Jesus sits at God's right hand praying for us and not a sign of God's commitment to us. An example of how Jesus prays can be found in John 17, verse 6 to 19 where Jesus prays for God the Father to protect and perfect us. Jesus wants to protect you, and he wants to perfect you. The interesting thing in the book of Hebrews, though, is the writer's argument that God didn't protect Jesus from suffering or hardship or pain. Why? Because God was using it perfect Jesus. Through Jesus' sufferings, he chose to continually submit himself to God and be obedient to God. This is what perfection looks like. Those who are made perfect by God are those who continually submit themselves to God in prayer and seek to obey him in every aspect Of their lives even when life is hard you have heard the saying no pain no gain in this case it's true I went for a run yesterday which I'm surprised I'm actually not feeling it today Ooh, look at me anyway um, I went for a run yesterday and at the time it was tiring and painful I however didn't stop running I didn't even think oh God doesn't love me that'd be a weird thing to think anyway wouldn't it Um, (laughs) why didn't I think that way because I know it is only by running through the tiredness and the pain that I will become stronger and fitter in the same way when life is really difficult and we no longer feel like we are moving up or we no longer feel like moving on in the first place we need to keep submitting ourselves to God in prayer and continually choose to listen and obey him. The hardships or pain might not stop, but God will make us stronger through it. When life is really hard, we often learn to be more compassionate and kind towards others. We learn qualities such as faithfulness, to be committed to God and others no matter what. At least that's what I learned, I think, during my period, like I was sharing earlier, that time for me and my family. I think those are key things God taught me about being compassionate and kind towards others. Because for all of us, life is hard. Life has been hard. We all carry around scars. You may not see my limp, but I walk with a limp. We all walk with a limp. So, How do we keep running with our eyes fixed on Jesus even when life is tough? My third point, and simply, I'll encourage us to love, but I'm going to use it as an acronym, so bear with me. So, L, live in relationship with other Christians, commit yourself to Christian community. Remember that God has adopted you into his family. So meet regularly with other Christians. Don't forsake meeting together. And it's in community that you can read the Bible, that you can pray and grow in your knowledge of God and his love together. Here at SBS, we have connect groups, which are a great way of connecting and meeting Christians in a smaller, more intimate way, because smaller you can actually chat, you can get to know each other more. We also, Like Phil was recommending earlier, we also do Alpha if you're new to the Christian faith or you've been journeying the Christian journey for a while but you're like, actually, I lack community. Alpha can be a great place to make friends and to start you off on that journey of being committed to a Christian community and fellowship. Hebrews 3.13 encourages us to encourage one another. Knowing that we are not running alone and that others are cheering us on as we run helps us to not give up when life is hard. And me and my wife were reflecting earlier as we saw all the runners running. It's interesting how people are running and you can see they're, they're really tired and they're worn out. And the moment you're like, come on, Jake! Then all of a sudden Jake is like, yeah, woo, I can do this! But there's something amazing that happens when We encourage others when we cheer others on. And when we're in Christian community, we can do that for each other. Oh, obey God. We obey out of a recognition that we are God's dearly loved children. We obey and love God because he first loved us. And as dearly loved children who know our Father has our best interests at heart. We gratefully obey Him. In obeying God, we may have to stop doing certain things, and we may be encouraged to do other things, to start doing other things. One of the ways you can actively obey God here at SPS and become more like Jesus by serving, it's amazing even in the song earlier we hear, that Jesus served. He got down on his knees and he used a towel and a wash basin and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus learned obedience through service. So there's something amazing about serving. So get involved, get connected, serve. If you want to find out more about ways you can serve, chat to Phil or myself or Ashton or Simon. There's loads of or the SBS staff around, but chat to one of us and we can help you on that journey of discovering different ways you can serve. V, vocalize Jesus. Be willing and ready to share with others about Jesus and why you believe in him. God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and to have a relationship with him. Some people may respond negatively to you sharing your faith with them. We may experience a form of suffering, maybe people might jeer us or make biting comments at us, but in our suffering we're becoming more like Jesus, who was rejected and hated by the people of his time. And E, earnestly pray and be thankful. One of the greatest temptations in life is comparing ourselves and envying others. Envy and bitterness causes division, even in the Christian community. We therefore have to learn to be content with what we have and with who we are. We therefore must make a habit of praying. It is in the place of prayer that God continually reveals to us how precious we are to him. Also, it is in place of prayer that we can practice thankfulness. Instead of comparing ourselves, we can thank God for what we do have. And we can thank him for making us in the first place and for the unique way that he shaped us. We can thank him for saving us, for continually helping us in our work and life. And we can thank him for being committed to perfecting us. We can thank him for our food, for our life, for our family, for our friends. We can thank him for how he uses even the hardships and difficulties of life to shape us and to make us more like Jesus. More patient, more kind, more loving, more forgiving. To end, if there's one thing I want you guys to take away today, it is this. God is for you and he's for me, he's for us, he's for the world. And if God is for us, then even if in this life we experience hardships or difficulties or pain, in the life to come, we will be comforted and rewarded. The best part of running a race is finishing a race. I don't know if anyone else agrees, do you agree? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Let us run so as to finish. Let us run so as to get the prize. God is faithful. He will see you through to the end. Keep believing, trusting, and obeying God. And in the end, you will receive life, a better city to share with God's other children, and lasting possessions. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and may he give you his peace. Amen.